The Hammer, Chapter 18 So, Terran, a deep voice growled in his ear, once again you have proven yourself to be as inept as your father. Only this time he cannot save you from the Chief Watcher. Perhaps it would be best for everyone if you accidentally fell to your death. The hands on his shoulders relaxed and Corvin's body slipped down. Karig, a soft voice spoke, our orders were to relieve Terran and Harmon, not kill them. Shut up, Reu, or you'll be next. It would be a relief not to have any of you priests hanging around the barracks. Corvin was hurled back toward the door. He lay still and looked out under the folds of his hood. Men in black coats moved about. A boot caught him in the leg. Get to your feet, Karig growled. Using the staff in his hand, Corvin stood, keeping his hood down low and his eyes on the ground. Two large boots planted themselves in front of him. If these men were from Terran's temple, they might take him to the very place Tsarek had told him to go. A spark of hope lit within him. Why is your staff lit? It was snatched from his hand. And why is there blood on it? Karig, another voice called. Look over here. Corvin raised his eyes and watched Karig move to where a small knot of soldiers stood around Harmon's body. An old man in a green cloak pushed in to crouch over the corpse. This wound was not made by a staff, he said. Karig shoved the man away from the body. We don't need your help, Reyu. This is not a temple affair. This body and the prisoner are now under the jurisdiction of the chief watcher. The large boots returned. Terran, you are under arrest for the murder of Harmon. You will be taken before the chief watcher for judgment. Karig shoved him onto the path leading down to the city. Hemmed in by the soldiers on the narrow track, Corvin had no choice but to keep walking. There was something odd about his guard. He couldn't figure it out at first, and then it struck him. Among these grown men, he was of average height. Either the guards were chosen specifically for their short stature, or the people here did not grow very tall. The light from the Lumians was growing dimmer, and with his hood low over his eyes, he felt safe from discovery, at least for the time being. Once he was taken to the chief watcher, however, he would be exposed as an imposter. Beads of sweat broke out on his forehead at the thought of meeting the black lizard face to face. He felt under his tunic and touched the hammer. It was cold and lifeless. Something had changed when Terran died. The man's frightening face filled his mind. He pushed the image away, but the voice in his head kept pleading, Help me, Corvan. Silently he responded, I couldn't. I'm not strong enough. I don't even know how to use the hammer. The eyes kept pleading, Please, Corvan. He tried closing his eyes, but the voice would not quit. It grew louder and more desperate. Stop! The men around him jostled to a halt and turned to face him. Karig pushed through their midst and grabbed him by the collar. Why should we stop? Are you too tired? Did killing Harmon take too much out of you, Terran? Karig dragged him across the path to the edge. If you are so tired, let me help you to the bottom a little faster. The old man named Reu pushed through the soldiers. The chief watcher will not appreciate it if he does not have a chance to question your prisoner, Karig. There is no reward for a dead body. I suggest we keep moving and get across the water before it gets too dark. The soldiers behind Reu muttered their agreement and Karig's face contorted into an ugly sneer. He tossed Corvin back toward the guards and gave Reu a shove. Keep your thoughts to yourself, old man, or you'll be the one taking a quick trip down. Karig stomped away as the soldiers formed a tight wall around Corvin and plodded downward. There was no way out of this nightmare. Everything was going from bad to worse. 
Someone gently squeezed Corvin's hand. Rayu looked up into Corvin's hood and smiled. Corvin nodded and swallowed a lump in his throat. At least he had one friend in this place. A soldier behind them coughed, and Rayu released his hand. Weariness settled in, and Corvin fell into a trance-like state, stumbling down the winding path. The sound of rushing water brought him back to his senses and awakened his thirst. It had been a long time since he last ate or drank. His guards pressed in tighter as they approached the bridge. Although it was protected with a stone wall on either side, the soldier stayed as close to the center as possible. A few glanced nervously at the water rushing below. Corvin looked for the source of their fear. The stone bridge was well built, and the high levees kept the water from overflowing its banks. On the far side of the river, the wall of the channel climbed even higher to become the outer wall of the city. The company passed through a broken gate and marched down the wide street Corvin had seen from above. The buildings on the left looked like empty shells, their doors broken off and their roofs crumbling. On his right loomed a high wall made of stone blocks of various sizes. The road was uneven, and the soldiers stumbled in the near darkness. The few people they met passed by the wall on either side of the street until the shoulder... The road was uneven, and the soldiers stumbled in the near darkness. The few people they met pressed against the wall on the right side of the street until the soldiers passed, then scurried away. Corvin could not see their faces, for everyone wore a hooded cloak, likely the only way to stay warm in the damp air. Karig led the procession through the city by the light of the staff's glow. The red globe cast strange, elongated shadow onto the wall beside them. Some of the figures were the same as those on the hammer. He resisted the urge to pull it out and check. The company reached the center of the city. In the middle of the stone plaza, a statue topped with the head of a man, but having many arms sticking out of its twisted body, watched them intently. Something moved in the shadows beyond it, and in the half-light he caught a glimpse of a shrouded figure heading into a street beyond the statue. A whiff of lilacs touched his face. Could that be Kate? He stooped to look under the legs of the statue. The figure turned and looked in his direction. Yes, it was Kate, her blanket wrapped loosely around her shoulders. Corvin stumbled over the soldier in front of him. They both crashed to the ground, and in a flash, Rayu was kneeling at his side, pulling his hood back over his head. Corvin grabbed the old man's wrist and pulled him close. There's a young girl in the street behind the statue, he whispered. You must go help her. She's wearing... Are we going to have to drag the two of you up to the palace? Karig's angry voice echoed in the confines of the walled plaza. Rayu leaned back and pulled Corvin to his feet. We are all right. Just tripped over the loose cobblestones. Don't let it happen again, Karig barked. They moved on along the circular wall that curved to the right side of the central plaza. They passed a number of tall structures that looked like thin metal trees with branches terminating in metal rings. Rayu gave his hand a firm squeeze and then he was gone. Corvin wanted desperately to look over his shoulder and confirm that Rayu was going after Kate, but he dared not stumble again. At the top of the plaza, a pair of sputtering fire sticks framed a narrow iron gate. Karig strode up and shouted out a command. It creaked open a few feet and the soldier squeezed through. Just inside, a soldier stood yawning, his hand on the windlass that controlled the gate. Prodding Corvin to keep up with them, the soldiers marched along the wide street toward the huge, faceless statue that brooded over the decaying city. The street became a wide stone stairway, its balustrades crumbling and broken off like rows of rotten teeth. Above them, successive ranks of stairs, broken by large open landings, climbed toward the feet of the statue. Spread throughout the landings were more of the fluted metal trees sprouting from circular stone platforms. 
to climb exhausted Corbin. It was all he could do to force his feet to take the next step. Just when he feared he might collapse and be discovered, Karig ordered the men to stand down and they all sank wearily onto the steps. Karig crossed the open area toward a massive wooden door set into the courtyard wall. Corvin peeked out from under his hood and watched Karig enter a small door next to the large gate. He tried to keep watch to see what might happen, but his head sank to his knees. He dozed for a moment, then jolted awake when two soldiers pulled him to his feet. Karig swaggered toward him. The chief watcher does not want to be disturbed tonight. The small door slammed behind him, and Karg glanced over his shoulder, his voice lowered. I have been ordered to leave the prisoner in one of the cells. The chief watcher will decide his fate in the morning. The larger gate opened, and Karg led them through it, turned left, and entered a narrow alley. A light glowed in the window next to an archway. Two red-cloaked guards, armed with tall axes, stepped out. Karig approached them and held out the staff, speaking in important tones. One of the red guards yanked the staff from Karig's hand and pushed him aside. The soldiers around Corvin fell back as the red cloak swept around him and ushered him through the arch and across a small courtyard toward a row of short, round towers that stood in front of a tall building. A shove sent Corvin tumbling inside one of the towers. The door slid closed behind him, and all sound from outside was instantly cut off. The cell was about five paces in diameter. Other than the faint outline of the door, the walls were as smooth as glass. Pale, lumian light shone down through a round opening high overhead. Corvin crossed the cell to a low stone bench that jutted out from the wall. To the right was a shallow depression with a hole in the middle. Corvin wrinkled his nose at the smell. Obviously, this was their version of a toilet. Above the depression, a short, round knob protruded from the hole. When he touched the tip, clear water gushed from the underside and ran into the hole. After drinking his fill of the cool water, he sat on the bench. There was a lot to think about, but he was too tired to keep his eyes open. Dropping the pack on the floor, he stretched out on the cool stone. It seemed he had just closed his eyes when hushed voices pulled him from his sleep. Just let me make sure he's all right, a woman said. The law allows an untried prisoner to have visitors. That law is only for those who have been charged, a man's voice responded. He is not yet officially charged with a crime against the palace. All the more reason to not deny my visit. That is true, Tirith, but you and I both know it is only the Chief Watcher's interpretation of the law that counts. I would be in a difficult position if he decides this visit was not in his best interest. He paused. Whatever we do must also be good for us, if you understand what I mean. There is no us, Morgan, Tirith responded crisply. Those days are over. You made your choice. I had no choice then, but now there are new decisions to be made. What are you talking about? Major changes are about to take place. I cannot say more, but I need you to consider what could be if things are resolved between the palace and the priests. If I were able to take over the palace and rule the corps, I would need a worthy counterpart. Together we could restore the entire corps to its former glory. After what you've done to the priests and to my family, I would rather go to the wasting before I would agree to be your counterpart. Things are not as they seem. Morgan's voice lowered, and Corvin had to strain to hear him. Soon I will be able to make it all clear to you. Promise me you will attend the ceremony with me, and I will assure you you will see things differently. The high priest's daughter cannot be seen at that ceremony. She does not need to be seen there, 
but she will be there if she wants to visit her brother before he goes to trial. There was a long pause. Fine. I will attend the ceremony. Now let me in to see Taryn. The man's tone softened. Thank you, Tirith. You won't regret it. I will awaken him and then wait for you outside the open door. I still have to fulfill my duty as his guard. Heavy booted feet crossed the room, and a hand roughly shook Corbin's shoulder. Taryn, wake up. Your sister is here to see you. Corbin sat up. Morgan strode back to the door like a matador going out to defeat a bull. He raised one hand and a band of amber light encircled the cell, illuminating the form of a woman standing just outside the door. Be quick. The next guard will arrive shortly. The woman entered the cell and walked toward him. She wore a long, pale blue cloak with silver tassels hanging from the hood. As she approached, she swept the hood back, revealing an intense face framed by long black hair that moved like silk with each step. She was not much older than Corvin, nor much taller. Her complexion was smooth and brown. She smiled at him, and his heart warmed until he reminded himself that she was under the impression he was her brother, the brother he had let die. He dropped his head and looked at the floor. She pulled him from the bench into an embrace. Taryn, I am so glad to see you. The words were full of concern, but the embrace was cool and aloof. Have they been treating you well? Before he could stop her, she pulled back his hood and looked into his face. He waited for her expression of surprise, but she looked right through him. Her eyes were as blue as a prairie sky in winter, but they were full of grey sorrel. How can they accuse you of killing Harmon? This must be a terrible mistake. Corvin opened his mouth to talk, but she gave her head a slight shake and touched his lips. Her fingers were soft and smelled of sweet spice. Taryn, you look terrible. I've never seen you so sick. These cells are so cold. Here, take my scarf. She pulled off her white scarf and looped it around his neck. The kindness of her gesture brought tears to Corvin's eyes, and he lowered his head again. The girl put her fingertips under his chin and raised it up. Don't give in to fear, she whispered. Be brave. She tugged on the back of his hood and then spoke loudly again. Keep your hood on at all times and stay warm. I will try to come back to see you when your trial begins. She stepped back. I love you, Taryn. Her voice faltered, and her tears fell freely as she flipped her hood up over her head and turned for the door. She said something to Morgan about her brother being ill. The door clicked shut behind them. Corvin sank down onto the bench. She knew he was not Terran, and she apparently knew her brother was gone. He touched the scarf and released its soothing scent. Had she come just to tell him to keep his head covered so his face could not be seen? But why had she left it uncovered when she left? He hoped Morgan had not been watching. He whipped the hood back over his head and the small packet fell into his lap. A soft piece of cloth tied to a stubby stick, like a short pencil with a hard brown eraser. He untied the cloth and discovered a tiny pebble inside. He held both items up to the band of light on the wall. Pressing the eraser bump on the top of the stick, he heard a tiny voice. He held the stick closer to his ear. We must get you away from the guards before the morning comes. A man was speaking in clipped phrases like a scratched record. Your only chance is for the guards to think you have died of some sickness. Swallow the pill we have given you. It will cause you to appear as if you are dead, and they will allow us to come get your body. You must do this immediately, or the next cycle will begin and the chief 
watcher will start your trial. Make sure you drop this message and the cloth down the waste hole. Act immediately. We shall speak with you after we give you the antidote and bring you back to life. Corvin pushed the knob again, but the stick remained silent. Bring you back to life? The girl was obviously not one of the dark eyes his grandfather had mentioned, but how could she know this pill wouldn't accidentally kill him? Placing the pill onto the cloth on the bench beside him, he dropped the stick down the hole. His stomach growled as he sat back down. Even if he were to take the pill, he shouldn't do it on an empty stomach. He opened the side pocket of the pack and took out the last piece of beef jerky. It was softer than usual, and the salt had risen to the surface in a white crust, but it was the most delicious thing he had ever tasted. He washed it down with a long drink from the stone tap. Hunger still gnawed at his belly. He dug to the bottom of the pack and found a tin he'd missed when he'd lightened the pack. He was about to throw it down the hole, but changed his mind. Kate still had the Swiss army knife, and she would be hungry if he ever caught up to her. The can went back into the pack, and he pulled out the last of the chocolate chips. He poured half of them into a small pile next to the pill, then rolled down the top of the bag and stuffed it back into the pack. He would save some for Kate. She loved chocolate. Don't move. Morgan's deep voice growled in his ear. A sharp point pressed into his back. How long had the man been standing there? So you have been holding out on us, have you, Taryn? These days, when there is so little food, it's a crime not to share with others. The knife dug deeper. Punishable by death, if you recall. Move over to the wall. As Corvin slid against the wall, Morgan moved along the bench and sat at the far end, keeping a long black knife between them. I regret that it has come to this, Taryn. You and I should have been brothers, not enemies. Morgan looked closer, trying to see into the recesses of Corvin's hood. I have something to ask you, something I need you to answer truthfully. Have you defected to the palace? Or is your presence here just another of the high priest's insane plans? Corvin stared at the floor. Your silence says it all. The high priest is a fool, and you will be destroyed by his schemes. The chief watcher does not tolerate treachery. He will not let you live. Corvin remained mute. So what are these? He poked at the chocolate chips with the tip of his knife. Something your sister brought you? She is as clever as she is beautiful. He picked one up and rolled it between his thumb and forefinger. Corvin shifted his weight, and Morgan raised the knife to Corvin's chest. Don't try anything, Terran. I don't believe you are really ill. You've never been sick a day in your life. Morgan sniffed at one of the chocolate chips and nibbled it. Hmm, sweet, just like your sister. He reached out and pulled the white scarf from around Corvin's neck. You won't be needing this in your crypt. Nothing will keep you warm there. He laid his knife by the chocolate chips and looped the scarf around his neck. Then, picking up the chips one by one, he dropped them into the palm of his hand. Corvin glanced at the knife. Should he try to grab it? Morgan seemed intent on picking up the chips. Corvin raised his eyes and found a smirk twisting at the corners of Morgan's mouth. He was baiting him into a fight. The man plucked up the last three chips, along with the small pebble. As Morgan added the pill to his handful of chips, Corvin twitched. In an instant, Morgan swept the knife off the bench and pointed it at Corvin's heart. A little too slow, Terran. Perhaps you are sick. Standing, he stuffed the chips and the pill into his mouth. The night guard will be here shortly. If you will not answer my questions... Something crunched in his mouth. He grimaced, jabbing his tongue into his upper molars. 
He pushed out a piece of the pebble on his tongue and held it in the tips of his fingers. Sweat broke out on his face. What have you? He put the knife to Corvin's throat, his hand shaking. Corvin jerked away, his hood falling back off his head. Morgan's eyes widened. As he stepped back, his foot caught in a toilet hole and he crashed to the floor. The knife slipped from his hand and skittered across to the wall. His mouth moved, but no words came out. Corvin stood, and Morgan pushed back from him like a crippled crab. His hand flailed toward the door, then he collapsed onto the floor, motionless. The door slid open, and Corvin looked out into the empty courtyard. Nothing moved. He ran to the bench and snatched up the pack. There was a whisper of sound behind him. As he whirled about, the door closed tight. <laughs>